The very idea of running a startup has taken on so much glamour and hype. But what's it really like? Is it more about grit, resilience, even luck? What about those make or break moments where things can either come together or go totally off the rails? That's where things get interesting, and those are the stories we'll explore. From the founder's perspective, unfiltered and honest. I'm Jenny Fielding, and I'm the Managing Director of Techstars New York City. I'm also an investor, founder, and an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship. And this is Founder Rising. Super excited today to have our special guest, Jonathan Levin, who's the founder of Chainalysis, which is a blockchain analysis company. And love to just kind of kick off, Johnny, telling us about why you started this crazy company. Thanks, Jenny. Great to be here. We started Chainalysis. There were three co-founders, myself, Michael Groninger, and Jan Müller. They're Danish, I'm English. We sat in a very small room in Copenhagen talking about what is going to help the cryptocurrency ecosystem mature into something where regular people can really use cryptocurrency and we can understand what the potential for the technology really holds. And what we found was the biggest blocker was cryptocurrency businesses couldn't get bank accounts. And this was back in 2014. There had obviously been a run-up in Bitcoin price in 2013 that had piqued people's interest in the space. But there really wasn't a way for financial institutions to get comfortable enough to provide infrastructure for cryptocurrency companies. And that was stifling adoption. And we said, there's a better way and we can actually manage the risk associated for these financial institutions to offer bank accounts to cryptocurrency businesses and make sure that governments were comfortable in regulating, overseeing, and ensuring the integrity of these markets. And we said, let's go, let's start. So taking a step further back, though, you were studying at Oxford, potentially thought you were going to become an economist, and here you are starting a crypto company. So what really kind of gave you the kind of courage and you know insight that starting a startup was really where you wanted to take your life? I was really interested in economics from a pretty young age. And so one would think that graduating from Oxford and thinking that you were going to enlighten people with the insights that economics can provide, particularly I was interested in environmental economics. That seemed to be like a really good career path for me. What I found, though, is that the actual impact that you could have from an environmental economist perspective wasn't going to cut it. Like we would go and present models to policymakers to try and make decisions and it would just be a very slow process and lots of meetings and wasn't giving me any energy back. And I went to a pub in Oxford and my friend Tom told me we should start trading Bitcoin between Mt. Gox and Bitstamp. And I said, Tom, what is Bitcoin? What year was this? This is 2012. Okay. And I just went home and I started looking at it. And I said, actually, Bitcoin is asking some of the best fundamental questions about how and why money is issued the way it is, why the financial sector is structured, how the internet even works. And I just found those just fundamental questions really exciting and the possibility to then build a technology that could touch millions of people and influence lives was giving me so much more energy than the energy economics that I was doing beforehand. 
And did you really think through the kind of ramifications of starting a company and, you know, what that was going to be like and the long haul that it was going to be? So actually, I started a company in my bedroom without any of those ramifications thought out. So I started a company called Coinometrics, which was doing pretty much the same as what we do at Chainalysis, in my bedroom with people that I met on Reddit, learned a very important lesson that you should never meet your (laughs) co-founders just on Reddit. Note to self. If that's one piece of advice that you get out of this podcast, (laughs) take that. The real thing is that it is just an idea at that point, and you see a need in the world that you really want to fill, and you get really passionate about solving that problem, and you just do anything you can to do it. I think that that's how I started Coinometrics. When I went in to look at Chainalysis with Michael and Jan, I had a similar thing where just this deep passion for solving that problem gets you most of the way there to step into this journey and actually step away from all the other options that you have in life. And what quickly becomes apparent is like you actually do need to think about this as a 10-year journey. And you need to think about this as you're going to be a different person all the way along that journey. And that has been something that has been an experience for me personally that has been really fulfilling that I didn't actually anticipate at the beginning of the journey. One of the exciting things about working in frontier tech is that there's a lot of unknowns. And I loved the way that you and the Tainalysis team in the early days were approaching it a little bit around kind of academic and research, a lot around culture and markets and kind of those confluence of things coming together. And so what was the moment where you really thought like, you know what, people are not understanding this. Investors that we're pitching aren't getting it. But like, this is a thing. This is happening. Like, what was that moment where you were like, this is it? I think we probably had deep conviction about the long-term market opportunity, even prior to starting the business, which is kind of the interesting thing with crypto is that you can often have people who are just like, this is the future of the world. And this will impact the world. Then you've got to say like, okay, have we created the right business? And At the time, the thing that was giving us confidence was law enforcement was literally calling us up and we were just taking orders. And we would say, sure, I've never heard of this agency. I've never spoken to anyone in law enforcement in my life, but they're phoning us and telling us they needed this product a year ago. And we had to then convince the earlier stage investors that that was our foothold in the market that was going to broaden out this market opportunity as the industry matured. And you've got to believe in the long term that cryptocurrencies is going to have a significant impact on the world. So we sort of, I guess, through product market fit with our government customers, even though we had no idea about the size of the market. At the time, we thought we'd move on from government really quickly and sort of go to cryptocurrency businesses and financial institutions. And that's frankly why we joined the Barclays Textiles program was to start building out that financial institution use case and prove out that market for us. We said an accelerator is just a really good way to test that. But in the end, like actually today, even in 2019, our government business is still such a cornerstone. And I've learned the alphabet of the government that I never thought I would. And I think that the key is to make sure that you double down on where you're finding that product market fit in the early days and try and really understand why people are buying from you. And there were other people in the accelerator who were not taking orders on the phone calls. And that gave us enough confidence to continue. 
You touch on a great point, though, which is how big is the market and how do you convince investors who want to quantify that, something that really none of us can know. And that was a big pushback when you were doing your seed round and it just like wasn't easy. And you guys pitched a lot of investors. It's just so hard as a founder when you know the truth, you know how massive this is and people are looking at you like you're kind of crazy. Yeah, I think particularly true for frontier markets. We couldn't point to any company out there that was the video conferencing software of today or the CRM of today and say that whole market is X billion and you know we're going to come in and capture some of it. We had to pitch a different story, which was the future of value transfer will be somewhat determined by what happens in cryptocurrency. And we were pitching that at a time where there weren't proof points to show it. And it was a lot of well, there's a lot of interest from financial institutions and the price did go up at some point. There wasn't a lot of data to back up any of our claims. And the logos that are currently involved in the space weren't involved back then. And the pitch, I think, came down to really someone who had a better understanding of the evolution of a company and really saying, are you solving a critical need that I can get my head around? And then do I somewhat believe whatever this big story that you're telling me is? So it had to be someone who said, I actually understand how your government business could actually be a substantial enough SaaS company for me to take a bet on. And then I would like the optionality to see this massive TAM that you're telling me about. If I can take that first initial bet on you executing on like a great government investigation service for cryptocurrency. And so I think we didn't understand how much we should have played into the we've got product market fit and we didn't try and quantify how big the government market could really be in a way that was convincing enough. And I think that that probably led to a lot of slammed doors in faces and disappointing conversations. Well, those investors were kicking themselves when Benchmark led your Series A. So, <laughs> Yeah, we've, we've definitely kept a bit of a record, Michael and I, on investors that we pitched during our seed round that said they'll never invest in crypto that have led <laughs> Series A investments in other companies in our space. Focusing a little on product, you guys, to some extent, have remained you know, really clear on your customer and your mission, but the product has evolved. So talk about some of those moments where you had to kind of confront two directions that you could possibly go. This is actually like a very interesting journey for us where we built Chainalysis Reactor, for those people that aren't familiar, it's a very sort of general purpose investigation and visualization software for performing cryptocurrency analysis. And I think the benefit to it being generalized and not specific to a government workflow or a compliance analyst workflow was that we were able to sort of generate that initial customer interest in all of these different verticals and all these different segments. And still today, we get requests from people who you would not typically consider to be someone in our target market wanting to just be able to visualize Bitcoin transactions and see where money is flowing and seeing who's involved. And that has led to us really at least getting enough of a footprint in those different verticals. We waited probably far too long to hire a product manager. Michael and I sort of running as founders and Michael today still is deeply, deeply product focused and you know, really what we had was a very generalizable product that helped us 
get access to customers. And then the trick is to then have a product management discipline of listening to how those different customers are evolving over time. And what we saw was we hit a point in the crypto market where cryptocurrency businesses did not want to do manual investigations anymore. They didn't want visualization software. They wanted automation. They wanted risk scoring. They wanted more opinions from us. And what we then said was, let's not move Reactor into a compliance use case. Let's build a brand new product line. This was at a moment where we were sort of building up our New York presence. We also said, let's build this new product in New York and let's co-locate the team. And there are a bunch of other reasons why we said, actually, we need to splinter this off and develop a compliance product discipline at Chainalysis and really go after that workflow, really try and own more of the workflow. And that has really helped us grow our crypto vertical. Reactor product still crosses all the verticals and is a great way for people to get introduced into cryptocurrency investigations. And then we're sort of developing vertical-specific tooling so that we can help people make the decisions that they want to be able to make. But we waited far too long to hire our first product manager to collect that feedback in a product discipline manner and probably rode a little bit too long on founder vision for products. That's a really good point. You have two co-founders that are very product-oriented, you and Michael. And so it's very hard to take your hand off the wheel and kind of let other people that may have other skill sets and potentially may be better suited. What was that moment where you kind of looked at each other and were like, okay, we need help? I think that the time that that was the case was when we had scaled engineering up to the point that work needed to be scoped. In the early days of the company, work doesn't really need to get scoped. Well, I would advise people to scope work properly <laughs> and be very disciplined around it. But there, there can be, between founders, there can be real mind meld on exactly what the scope of these features are and, and how to develop the product. I think what we found was once the engineering team hit like 10 to 12, maybe even 15 people, we were still without a product manager. And Michael and I were not scoping work. We would go to meetings where we would talk about it and then engineers would go off and build. And that's not the way to necessarily progress. And so we said, we actually need a product manager whose sole job it is to make sure that we're managing tasks properly, make sure that we've got bug tracking and all this type of discipline and, and introduce that. I think even at that point, though, we were still not releasing the reins completely. And I think that the first time that I realized that we had fully released more of this slack to the team was when like the first non-founder initiated features came into existence. And I think that only happened actually probably earlier this year. And it's interesting because we could refer back to like walks in a forest that we once took where we developed the full roadmap for chain analysis that still lay true today. Is that a metaphor or are you no, walking that's through the forest? We're walking through the forest. <laughs> Just checking. We are walking through the forest in Denmark. <laughs> okay. Or, or in Germany or, or, or even along the High Line in New York. Got but it. <laughs> we um, developing roadmaps and those have stood the test of time, but actually in, in Chainalysis KYT, we've definitely had, and even in Reactor today, we've had product manager-led features, feedback from customers, and real significant shifts in the approach 
in the product to solve the customer problem. And that took basically took us five years. So when you started Chain Analysis, you were super young, early 20s, I think. And you very quickly had to learn how to be a manager, hire people, and scale. And you hadn't had a ton of work experience before Chain Analysis. You had been an academic and you had started your own startup, maybe a little bit of work experience, but you hadn't, you know, spent 10 years somewhere. So how did you kind of level up and what were some of the challenges around hiring people, sometimes people that were way more senior and and older than you? It has been sort of challenging. I have had a very good network of people within the tech scene that I look up to, admire. And also, there's a ton of resources today from podcasts with Jenny to other things to listen to and to read and, and really consume. I think that the real benefit that I've had is that in leading, there's a component of being a founder where you have a compelling story, you have a compelling vision for the world that can inspire people to do their best work. And what I've found is that I've often invested in making sure that I'm just getting better and better at communicating that to people. And I've done things like work on my public speaking practice and go to speaking coach and make sure that I have really the the very tactical skill to be able to more effectively communicate as a manager. I think we also have truly benefited from a great sort of run with traction where you are learning that on the fly through experience. We've had board members really help. I also personally have been seeing an executive coach for a few years who can help you really understand how you fit within a certain situation and how you are either making the same mistake that you made last time or if you're thinking differently about a set of problems. And I think that one of the things that I've been fortunate enough is that we've had this really compelling journey. We've had this really great story to tell. We've had a lot of people follow us along the journey, which has been sort of the challenge. And then I've had a bit of a growth mindset of always trying to just be better and look at other companies and mentors that I can I can look up to. The very tactical is hiring is one of the most important jobs. And we spend very little time learning about it. There are some good books, there is no substitute for doing a million interviews. There's also no substitute for hiring HR people early, which we also didn't do. But we essentially have now invested enough in and you build a muscle in getting very concrete about what the task you want someone to do is understanding what the executive you really need that's going to take you 12 to 18 months forward what are the most significant challenges that you want that person to solve for you and hiring for the strength of that person that is going to be able to do that and that's like stuff that you can read. And it's also stuff that you get a good intuition as a founder, knowing the problem that you're really trying to solve. I remember Michael was doing HR like at least three years in, right? <laughs> we were like, Michael. Right. Michael uh, was running HR until we brought Jacqueline on board. And, and how yeah. has that kind of shifted the culture and the conversation at Chainalysis? I mean... I could do a whole podcast on this, but I think that we've had a really good run of being able to build a great culture of people who are deeply mission focused. We have this awesome responsibility of really removing bad activity from the internet and from the world and have had like major impact on 
people's lives. We helped take down the biggest child abuse material site in the world. And that has led to people who are really committed to the company. And so that's never been something that Michael or I have really struggled to convey to people and to inspire people about. I think that what we've learned through developing an HR function is those org structure discussions or the how many people do we really need to solve this problem? And how are we going to find these people from diverse talent pools? The actual scaling of it is something that we could not have done without building these types of processes and knowing when to hire your first internal recruiter and knowing when to put in place like an actual manager training program or exec training program or those types of things. Yeah, Michael and I were signing contracts for people to join the company, but not necessarily managing their life cycle as well as we could have done. Today, I think you know, our staff retention has been great at the company due to mission, but even just developing people internally and promoting people internally and recognizing their successes has been part of actually having an HR function so that we're not just thinking about the people outside the company who we need to bring in, but really that focus internally about, okay, who are the people on the ship that we need to like make sure that they're progressing their careers? That's something that HR has been really good at thinking about. Every startup has lots of ups and downs. In fact, you know, mostly on a daily basis, those happen, the highs and the lows. So what kind of personally keeps you mentally sound and feeling energized about, you know, coming into work every day, would you say? I know you're a big cyclist, so that's... Uh... I am a big cyclist, so being able to cycle to work is important. I'll answer a few different ways. I think that being very clear about what problem you're solving in the world, and it goes back to how you even get the drive to start the business in the first place, is do you see this massive gap that needs to be filled in the world, and are you passionate about that problem? And do you then also see your own skills as being instrumental to solving that problem. For me personally, I got into this space in 2012, really have worked on making sure that risk can be mitigated in cryptocurrency markets and convinced governments around the world that risk can be mitigated and help them build programs and really show success over the years in successfully managing the risk that comes from open and transparent financial systems, and then transforming cryptocurrency businesses from people who thought that they were tech companies to now thinking of themselves as regulated financial institutions and you know, using products to manage their risk. And really what gets me excited today is that I can shift again. And you know, I've sort of earned this right as someone who's at the forefront of managing these risks and understanding exactly what they are. And now I'm shifting again to focusing more on understanding what the opportunity is. And I think it is important for you to, at the end of each year, set that goal for yourself about where is that place inside the company that actually your experience, your deep experience in the market is going to help you navigate that better than anyone else. What are the rooms that I can be put in by our sales team because I don't schedule my own meetings anymore? What rooms can I be put in that can have that impact on our ability to influence those organizations and impact the world? And use my credibility to be able to do that. Like it's about finding those areas where you have like an unfair advantage. And I think it's hard though as a founder when you're shifting roles. When you yeah, it's it feels painful. It is painful and there can be massive distractions 
from finding the answers to that. And what I found this year was it actually took me probably three, four months to get very clear by myself about what do we need to do over the next two years for the company. And what I found was, you know, we've hired a bunch of operators who are much better than I am at keeping people accountable, setting goals, actually focusing and delivering on projects. And what we need to do is make sure that we're not disengaged from the much bigger market opportunity. And it took me four months to figure that out. I mean, I was running our government business. I was desperately trying to hire someone who tried that before because having a British person try and run a US public sector practice is just not, as I said, I, I recently learned the alphabet. What I tried to do was I spent a lot of time with my coach on it, have enough conversations with your co-founders and have an open conversation about actually when it gets to a stage where where we are, it's much better to hold people accountable who are operators who've been there before, who you can allow them to be successful or fail. And you need to be in a position where you are providing that expert advice or those inspirations or that leadership that carries those people through rather than focus on things that are like operational that you could you know it's pretty hard as a founder to like even hold yourself accountable to those operational responsibilities and so i think that there's a really good part of knowing what does the company need to prove over two years and you'll be the only person who can answer that question as a founder because someone who doesn't know your business very well won't see the trajectory of the company in the same way that you will that's awesome all right johnny we're super excited to have you here thank you for your insight thanks johnny Thanks for listening to the show today. We'd love to hear your feedback, ideas, and what kind of stories you'd like to hear next. You can find me on Twitter at J.E. Fielding. 